Um, it's Shekilola Salami. It is the Shekilola Salami show. I'm still at Capital Crime. Um, and so I've got my next guest here with me. Um, it's a nice sunny day in London and it's just really nice being in a festival and being able to record and chat, you know, with my guests one-on-one. Um, as normal, you know, I think it's better for my guests to introduce themselves because I think they can do a better job um, of it than I can. So who have I got here with me today? Oh, you've got me. Uh, I am Lisa Jewell. Um, I have been writing novels since 1990. My first novel came out in 1999 and it was called Mouse Party. Um, and that was a romantic comedy um, set in South London. Um, since then, I've written another 16 novels. Um, I've moved from romantic comedy into the thriller genre. Uh, and my latest novel is called The Family Upstairs, which came out in August and is the story of um, 25-year-old Libby Jones, who's just found out that her birth parents, she was adopted as a baby, have um, been holding something in trust for her for her 25th birthday. And she's just found out that it's an eight-bedroom mansion in Chelsea, which is very nice. But she's also found, found out, she's discovered that she was found as a baby 10-month-old baby in a cot in the first floor um, of this mansion in Chelsea by the police after an anonymous tip-off, um, and she was in a cot. Meanwhile, downstairs, there were three dead bodies in the kitchen on the floor. So she's been left this massive mystery to solve, um, not least of which is where are her brother and sister, who were teenagers at the time that uh, she was discovered. Awesome. Your book sounds quite um, interesting. So I'm quite, I'm quite curious though. So you started off with romantic comedy. Yeah. When did you go into thrillers? It was kind of gradual. So obviously I started, uh, my first book came out when I was 30. So I was kind of moving away from my youth anyway. And I couldn't keep writing these sort of very lighthearted um, kind of feel good things about flatmates and yeah. boys and girls falling in and out of love with each other. Um, I was going... Oh. Um, I was, you know, I was going into my 30s, I got married, I had children, obviously I was changing, so I started writing less romantic fiction and more sort of theme-led fiction about families, about marriage. Okay. Um, and I found um, that the themes were getting darker and darker and darker, and then I wrote a book called The Third Wife, which was about a man who's been married three times. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was about the theme of, you know, how, how that impacts on the children left behind when their dad keeps leaving and going, having children with other women. <laughs> um, and I got halfway through that and realized that it wasn't enough for me, that mm -hmm. I'd kind of moved up. I'd gone as far as I could with writing about families just yeah. in the, in the form of families. Yeah. Um, so I took the third wife and I wrote a prologue where she's thrown under the wheels of a night bus on Charing Cross Road under very suspicious circumstances. So I think that's when I crossed the Rubicon from writing family dramas into writing more thriller-type books. And at the same time as that happened, I also changed uh, editors at my publishers. And the editor who took me on, purely by chance, was their crime editor. 
So I think it was perfect timing because I was ready to start killing people. <laughs> and she is very used to publishing books about killing people. So, um, yeah, so it was a perfect timing and a perfect combination. Okay. So how many thrillers have you written since then? Uh, I think uh, six. I think the house, we, uh, the family upstairs was my sixth thriller since The Third Wife, yeah. Okay. And when did that come out again? Uh, family Upstairs came out in August. Right. Yeah. So what... Okay, before we even go back to people, let's sort of take a step back. So just sort of tell us a bit about your life and, you know, something that the press doesn't know about you, but somehow how you then ended up, you know, next to me having a chat with me. Um, something that the press doesn't know about me that, but that didn't stop me from being in the... No, no, that sort of yeah. led your life, you know, that yeah. sort of angle. Okay, that... well, I don't know if the press don't know, um, but I think it's quite interesting that I was um, a secretary. I don't think very many best-selling novelists started off their writing careers as secretaries. Um, and, yeah, so I was working for a firm of shirt makers in um, Battersea, um, in their head office and I started off as a receptionist um, and then I was promoted to be the PA to one of the directors um, and at that point I was so happy in that working for that company in that role being a secretary and if somebody had asked me about my ambitions and my goals yeah I would have said I'd really like a pay rise and that was <laughs> That was as far as I, as as I could see. I didn't ever look beyond my next pay rise. That was all I could see. Yeah. Um. And I could never have imagined that I would have had a really, really successful creative career of my own. Um. I could never have imagined that any of this was going to happen to me. Um. It was all very, very fluky. It all happened. You know, fortuitous conversations with people that led to me experimentally writing a couple of chapters and then experimentally sending them out to some agents and then one agent saying god actually you know this is quite good and let me see if i can get you a publishing deal uh so, which led to me then having to write the book um but yeah so i think it's interesting that i managed to get to this position of having a number one best-selling novel in the uk and a really long satisfying 20-year career having never given it any thought yes up until the minute that it actually happened to me <laughs> So when did you quit your job as a secretary? I quit my job as a secretary. Well, I'd already I'd already been made redundant, unfortunately, and I was very very sad about that. Um, and I was um, temping. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I signed up with some temping agencies and was temping. Mm. Um, and it was while I was temping that I got this phone call from the agent. Um, so I carried on temping while I was writing the book. I thought there was no point in getting a full-time job now, just yeah. in case. Uh, and then I delivered the full manuscript to her a year later, and she got me this two-book deal with um, Penguin. Wow! And because I was temping, all that's it. I didn't have to sort of officially stop working. Yeah. I just sort of said, okay, well, I won't be signing on for any work next week. Um, yeah, bye. <laughs> I'm off to be a writer now. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so. This, and I know that a lot of my listeners who are authors and non-authors, they're always curious. And I'm always curious when, you know, I see, I speak to an author who gets, um, you know, a publishing deal, right? Because with the world the way it is, you know, a lot of people can be self-published now. 
But then when someone says that they get a publishing deal, we sort of imagine that you've got lots of zeros and you get yeah. a paycheck upfront. <laughs> yeah. Is that how it works for you? Well, it, well, in a way, I mean, compared to what I'd been earning as a temp, you know, um, the, the, the deal that my agent struck for me with Penguin was ginormous. It was life-changing. It was like, okay, I don't have to go back to the temping agency next week. This is enough money now. But you're right in as much as you don't get a check with loads of zeros on it. Yeah. So it's, you know, so it was a two-book deal. Um, I'm sure you know all this, but just for your listeners, in case they don't know it, you, um, they give you what's called a signature advance, mm. which is um, a third or a quarter of the full advance when you sign the contract. And then the rest of it you get in dribs and drabs, so you get a bit when you delivered a novel, you get a bit when they publish it in hardback, you get a bit when they publish it in paperback okay so it, you know it's it's a lovely lovely number with lots of zeros on it but it has yeah. to last quite a long time and you only get it in little chunks um so but but luckily for me i was published at a time when the publishing industry were going mental over young women's fiction it was just post bridget jones uh. the, the publishing industry had more money than sense at that time <laughs> And I did, I think, were I to come with the same manuscript now mm. and come to Penguin, they might have bought it, but I don't know, maybe may one less zero on the, yeah. <laughs> on the advance. It was a very, very good time to be writing what I was writing at that yeah. moment. Awesome. So how, so from that first deal, how have you, how have you seen yourself grow to where you are today? Um... Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because that book was a massive success. It it went straight into the top ten at number three, Ralph's Party, um, and it was a best-selling debut novel of that year, and I was all over the broadsheets, I was on the telly. It's a massive, massive deal. It was an incredible fairy tale year for me. What was this book again This called? was called Ralph's Party, right? Okay. Um, which came out in 1999. Um, and then the next book did really well as well, and you just don't know. I didn't know where I was headed from that point on. I knew that those two books had done well enough that the publishers wanted to sign me up for another two books. So I started writing my third book and then my fourth book and then my fifth book. And then you kind of think, hold on, this is sort of all... The sales just started. There's a plummet, definitely not plummeting, but there's very gradual drop-off and drop-off yeah. and drop-off. And no book ever kind of looked like it was going to start mm. selling um, massively again, which is fine because I was always selling just enough to be able to stay um, as a full-time writer. Yeah. Uh, just enough for my publishers to want to keep publishing me and not drop me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't kind of know where I would end up. I didn't know where this trage trajectory was taking me. Um, and, yeah, so it's been really interesting for me to suddenly, you know, I'm 51 years old now. I don't think there are very many industries in this world where you can suddenly boom again yeah. your, your career can suddenly take off again as as mine has done with the last sort of two or three books particularly this last one the family upstairs so yeah so it's been this this very sort of bizarre journey and i think that's the, the joy of publishing is yes. yeah anybody can do anything any book you write can be the book um but also it's given me that time out of the sort of the, the treadmill of being a best-selling author yeah just to be able to experiment and do what I want and, and grow at my own pace because yeah. there were all those years when publishers weren't jumping up and down waiting for my next novel and were quite happy just to wait for me to do my thing. So it was nice to have that sort of breathing space. Okay, cool. 
So with your latest book, what inspired you to write it? Um, it was, oh yeah, so it's, I'm not one of those writers that's got like a pocketbook full of ideas. And, okay. You know, like, oh, what should I write my next book about? I don't know, let, my, let me get my book of ideas out. I don't have <laughs> a book of ideas. I don't, gen, I've, you know, I've genuinely sat down to write books before with no idea at all. Yeah. Um, usually I have one sort of small germ of an idea. And with this one, it was, uh, I saw a woman when I was on holiday in 2017 um, with my family and she was um she had a sort of slightly desperate air about her she was very very thin very suntanned she looked like she'd spent you know the whole of her life on a beach mm. and she was um she had very long hair and she was quite scruffy and she was dragging these two small children into this private member's shower block where she clearly wasn't a private member um and I watched her and I thought, you're interesting. <laughs> you're, there's, you've got some backstory going on. I don't know how you've ended up here. You, I don't know. For some reason, she just looked English to me. She didn't look French. I don't know what it was about her. So I immediately thought, she's escaped from England. Something's happened in England and she's ended up here. And her <laughs> life is very complicated. And I just went away and I couldn't stop thinking about this lady. And the more I thought about her, she grew layers and layers and layers. And then I, I decided on a backstory for her, which was that something shocking happened to her in a in a mansion in Chelsea in the 80s and yeah so it was very much a tiny 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 little seed the character just spoke to you she really yeah she really it was fleeting I must have seen her for all of three or four seconds and then she was gone and it was like you're interesting um and that's quite often the way for me with my novels it's just a little thing Mm that lodges itself like a pip in your head. and yeah. Sort of, yeah. So I was going to ask, but I think I know the answer, right? Because on Goodreads, and this is like, you know, like social media for book lovers, right? Within the authors, there are two camps. There are the, you know, I plan, like you said before, yeah. I plan my stories and I have, you know, what the beginning, what the middle, what the end would be. It's all rigidly planned out. To those who, you know, they don't plan it and they just go like, yeah. whatever the character says to me. Yeah. And I think you sound to be in the camp where, you know, whatever, do, yeah. I will just write what the characters tell me. Yes. So when I die and they go through my, my, my drawer of, <laughs> yeah, my, my office drawers, uh, you won't find any notebooks. I don't have any notebooks. I don't make any notes. Um, I, I, the only way I can work out what my book is is to write a thousand words a day and see what it is as I'm writing it. Um, and that was very much the case with this. I had this idea of this this woman escaping from a childhood trauma, and then I had to, you know, find. I like to tell stories from more than one person's point of view. Okay. Um, I always do that. So then I had to find a couple of other characters to tell the story, uh, one of whom is the girl who's inherited this house that she escaped from, um, and then the other of whom is the uh, the boy who was living in the house as a child who's telling, yeah. telling us the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had that. I had my three people. And I knew what part they were going to play in the telling of this story, but I didn't know what the story was, so mm. I just had to let them work it out for me as I wrote. So how did the additional characters, how did they birth themselves in your mind? Oh, just, yeah. I mean, birth is an interesting word to use because childbirth um, is really, really, really hard. <laughs> um, and bringing an actual real person into the world is very painful and, and traumatic, whereas I've always found 
birthing fictional characters to be the easiest part of the process. Yeah. They just, I don't know, they just, they're there when I need them. They just show up and it's like, okay, I'll tell this story for you. And I'm like, okay, then let's do this thing. Um, so it's never, that's not the hard bit for me at all. No, interesting you say that because you're the second um, author that I'm chatting with at Capital Crime. And it seems so, if I think I'm going to take a tally now, right? Because I say, I think authors, and because I write children's book, I think where, the way my characters go in my head is like, I'm just sitting and they start telling me their yeah. story. I don't plan it. Yeah. It's literally, right, I'm just a typist, right? And the characters are living creatures in my head yes. telling me, this is what you need to do. And they're the yes. directors, the producer, and they sort of call the shots. And I'm literally just the secretary, the typist, just, just typing what they're telling me. And I... I I'm always afraid to say to people, oh, well, the characters are telling me what to do. Because I think I'm going to sound mad. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The voices in my head are telling me what to write. (laughs) Because I think someone's just going to be like, you know what, we need to lock her up now. She's hearing voices. Well, I've got this conflict with thrillers, you see. When I was writing um, romantic fiction and, and family dramas, I could kind of let the characters do that for me. Yeah. But now I also have to have my readers in my head who want to be thrilled, who want to who are desperate to know what's happened, but I also can't tell them what's happened. So I'm kind of listening to the characters telling me how they want the story to go and also thinking, oh, but the reader might not want to hear about that. It might be a bit boring because they want to just get on with the action. And so I'm balancing those things So how out. do you balance it then? I don't know. I just have to, just have to. I mean, that's a good thing about the fact you don't write 24 hours a day. Is I write a thousand words a day, it takes me about two to three hours. Yeah. And then I go off and I think. And that's when, that's when, so I'm now then not talking through my characters anymore. Mm. They, they've gone quiet and then I can just look at what they've done today where I've got them to or where they've got themselves to as you say and work out the best way to tell the next bit of the story without giving away too much and knowing that the reader is still going to be desperate to find out what happens next awesome awesome that sounds really that sounds really interesting um well, I think we sort of come to that point where I'm like, okay, great. You know, normally because of the Virgil Cafe, I would actually kick them like, yes, it's time to go now. I'm kicking you out of my cafe, but we're face to face, so I can't actually kick I don't you. mind. I won't take offense. <laughs> no, no, no. But instead of like, you know, so I always like guess to summarize what people can take away, right? So, you know, we've had an interesting conversation. Well, I think it's interesting. And I'm very intrigued about, you know, how... Uh, three to four second view of someone yeah. inspired you to write your you know your latest book so what five tips can you get give to anyone listening to the show that it can take away what's the takeaway from today right so whatever it is whether it's high concept and i don't write high concept books i'd love to write high concept books um or it is that you've just seen someone and you think that you might like to write a story about them you can't just sit down and hit the page running there has to be I, I, I kind of describe it as putting a, a, a seed of an idea into my head and keeping it, growing it for as long as I can and to get it as big as I can before it doesn't fit inside my head anymore. Yeah. But, but until I get to the point of like losing control of it because it's just too big for my head. And that's when I start writing. Yeah. When I've got it to that critical size. Yeah. Because uh, you do need some momentum when you, when you start writing a book. Um, and then, of course, you know, as we were talking about earlier, there's deciding who's going to tell your story. Uh, for me, it's, it's usually obvious who one of the characters will be because it's usually the person I've seen yeah. who's inspired it. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, so are you going to tell the story just from their point of view, or do you think that the story is going to need other perspectives on it, and you need to make that decision pretty early on, obviously? Um, and then the other decision you need to make pretty early on is um, where you're going to start telling the story. You know, I've had a couple of books where I've realised a few thousand words in that I started at the wrong place. Either, right. Yeah. So I've either had to reverse and think, okay, no, we need to go six months back. This is, we're way too close to the action here. We need to go back or, you know, conversely go forward. Um, and then it's just on just a grueling matter of writing whatever you can in a regular, I think writing a regular amount of words every day is really important in terms of the momentum and keeping the keeping the rhythm going. Um, for me, it's a thousand words a day, okay. um, but everybody's different. Um, and getting yourself into a really, really boring routine is very, very helpful. I think if you've got a really exciting life and you're just trying to slot writing in, yeah. uh, then you're going to find it really hard to focus on the, on the rhythm of the book. So yeah. I think regular writing, whether it's an hour a day or three hours a day, is very important. And then, yeah, you just got to keep going until you finish and then you've got something that could be could be a number one bestseller you don't know what it's going to be but yes. you won't know you've got nothing until you've written the last words yeah actually now now that you say that so i'm quite something just popped into my mind right so someone said and actually not someone lots of people have said this that it takes 10 years to become an overnight bestseller but that didn't happen for you no no i was an overnight bestseller like literally immediately yes yeah so no i don't i don't think that's true who said that that's not true lots of people are overnight bestsellers uh, paula hawkins you know she was an overnight bestseller it didn't take her 10 because years or... what a lot of people say is that you i would think because you did you say you were a secretary before yeah. so probably you've got used to writing and did you have a network of people that you could reach to when, when i was writing my first book yes no no I was the only person I knew who was writing a book. Right. I, didn't, I didn't know any other writers. I didn't know any other writers until I became a writer. And now I know loads of writers. But no, when I was writing that book, I didn't know any other writers. I was. So you were literally the first overnight bestseller. That is literally an overnight bestseller. Because I've had chats with, you know, overnight bestsellers, but they were working towards it for 10 years. Yeah. You know, I see what you mean, yes, in terms of whether it's being a journalist or yeah, thinking about it or you know, studying it. or yeah, Exactly, yeah. or networking and going yeah. and sort of building their yeah. network. Yeah. Um, so no, no, I literally landed, <laughs> landed as if from space. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. Here's my book. Yeah. Yes. No, um, that is. I can't believe I'm the only person that's ever happened to. But well, no, this knows? is common my show. From, Com from on your show, on yes. Your show, so yeah. you're the first, the first, first for everything. Yes, no, the first literal overnight. Because I've had few people who have been, you know, bestsellers. But you know, it's like the, I remembered one of the guys, you know, and his mom was an author, so he was going with her to networking events and sort of right. building his network yeah. and sort of growing you know getting people to know who he is yeah. and what he does so when he then published his first book he already had yes. a following that it could say oh great you know check out what i'm doing yeah but i think you know the fact that you said yours was in the 90s you know when there, there wasn't was... a network as such you know you couldn't just go and infiltrate people's book launches and walk into publishers offices and you know you couldn't do that but now you can virtually you can yeah. be in all these places talking to these people as you say and also having your own profile online as a writer which didn't exist 
Yes. You were either a writer, a published writer, or you were not. You were in a garret somewhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> invisible. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, if people who are listening to the show, and they, I know I'm sure they would really have enjoyed listening to you, if they wanted to connect with you, how can they do that? I am... I, you know, my favourite place on the internet is Facebook, and I do take friend requests from on my private page from okay. uh, people on Facebook. Most of my Facebook friends are readers. Um, I'm also on Twitter mm, a little bit, not very much, Lisa Jewel UK. Um, I'm on Instagram, Lisa Jewel UK. Um, again, I don't really chat much on Twitter or Instagram. If you want to chat with me, Facebook's the best place to do okay. that. Um, What's your Facebook handle? Uh, just Lisa Jewel and then you'll see a picture of me wearing it because lots and lots of Lisa Jewels on Facebook you wouldn't believe how many there are in this world um, <laughs> but I'm the one wearing a black jacket with, okay yeah there you go looking very authorly I think in my profile also picture. okay well it's been an absolute pleasure um, any final words oh I mean I think if, if you if your listeners are mainly writers um as just i don't know, feel, feel the pain and do it anyway i would say just yeah it's not supposed to be fun but yeah. it is the best it, job in the world it is i think it's sort of writers and book lovers and people yeah. who just like to read yeah. and people who like discovering new books and you know just learning something yeah. new so it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and hopefully when your next book is out say sometime next year you'll yes. probably consider coming back on I'd the show i'd love to thank you for having me well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Lisa Jewell. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode of the Shagulala Salami Show. We're still in capital crime and, you know, it's been fun being at my first writing festival. So who knows? I might be doing this more often now. Well, until next time. Bye now.